Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of The Race Recap. Uh, it's me, Jeff, sitting here with Race Recap co-host Duncan. Duncan, how are you? I'm doing great. Are you sleeping? Uh, <laughs> not so much, yeah, not so I much. I think so. Um, but you're, you're not sleeping for a good reason, as we talked about on the last episode. Um, there's been some racing since we were last on. I have been busy with child and family in town, but I've not been as busy as you've been with child. But you paid more attention to the racing than I did. So this episode is going to be a little different. You're basically going to run the show, and I'm going to chime in with things that are mostly wrong, as people will point out when they listen to this. So this is Race Recap 3. Um, take it away. All right. Well, we had a pretty good weekend of racing uh, last week. Formula One was back on track in Russia. In Sochi. The, in Sochi, yes, of uh, Winter Olympic fame. And uh, up front, there wasn't much of a show because uh, the Nico show was, was the name of the game Keeps once again. On. Yeah, got his seventh uh, in a row if you go back to last year, right. fourth in the row this year. And, uh, I mean, at no point was he challenged yeah. in the race. Um, had a very easy time of it. Uh, Lewis Hamilton, not so easy a time. He had to start 10th after his power unit failed in Q3. Yeah, he, he had a more interesting race than Nico just because he... Oh, yeah. He, he definitely had uh, <laughs> a lot more action. But um, he rebounded great, finished yeah. second. Um, it was up to fifth after the first, uh, first lap, I believe. And had a little bit of trouble getting past um, Bottas or Botas. Whichever, however Boat you say ass. it, Bodass uh, won the flying fence. And uh, if he hadn't been held up behind him for so long, I think he might have been able to challenge Vettel, or not Vettel, pardon me, challenge uh, Rosberg. Yeah. But uh, unfortunately, it wasn't to be, and there was no action at the front. Right. The action was in the back. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, there was lots of action in the race. And uh, Vettel did have something to complain about this weekend. Oh, yeah. Uh, as in uh, essentially turn one. The turn one of this track is a straightaway. So turn two, he gets uh, on the start. He gets rear-ended by Danny Kafiat, bounced <laughs> into Daniel Ricardo, and then in the long uh, turn three, he slows up a little bit and gets punted by Kafiat ending the race after uh, after two corners. Crazy. Yeah, big wreck into the tires. Crazy. Car cars destroyed. He, uh, he is the <laughs> as, as he gets out, he picks up the entire front wing assembly and puts it in the cockpit. <laughs> he, he was helping with the cleanup but um in china he got really steamed right. after he and his uh, teammate got together he thought that uh Kfiat dive bombed him right. when really Kfiat was just taking advantage he did nothing wrong but this weekend the young russian definitely <laughs> misplayed his hand oh yeah i mean to the point where major fans of f1 are saying like this could be it for him well you like know. he might lose a seat for next year like because it seemed like it seemed to a lot of people to be BS shenanigans where he ran into him twice. That's what they're claiming. Well, it's possible that <laughs> it might be BS shenanigans. Right. Certainly, the first one was really egregious. I mean, yeah. he came from a long way back, and, and you know, he was on the inside, cold tires, locked him up a little bit, and, you know, it was unfortunate. The second one, Vettel slows up a lot in front of him, and nobody else around those cars slows up to the degree that Vettel was, so it's possible that Kvyat got caught out. I mean, one way or another, he did hit him. Yeah. But as far as losing his seat, um, Formula One isn't going to sit him down just for this. It's not that big a deal to them. And Red Bull isn't going to sit him down. He just had a podium the race before. Yeah, that's so true. That's true. they're not too upset about him taking out a guy in a red car. If yeah. he took out a guy with a Red Bull on the car, yeah. that would be another story. Yeah. I mean, it was it was it was pretty good because uh, I missed the race, but I definitely caught that, and it was um, 
I mean, that second hit looked like a pretty good hit. <laughs> yeah, so. definitely. But like I said, Vettel did come back to him right there. It's not like right. he, uh, you know, hit the the push to pass and slammed up into him. I do like Vettel's uh, his radio. Over the, he was so oh, that v- v- Vettel's radio was one of the all timers. Uh, I ran out of fingers to count the f bombs he dropped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was uh, it was pretty fantastic. Yeah, top notch. But since that incident took uh, took Vettel out and effectively took out both of the Red Bulls, uh, they continued in the race, but neither of them factored into the results. It op- opened up the second half of the points for loss of the little guy. So both McLarens were in the points. Yep. Grosjean was back in the points. Um, Haas scored, right? Yeah. 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 Haas scored. Uh, Kevin Magnussen scored for, for Renault who desperately needed. it. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the little guys got, uh, got a nice infusion of points coming out of that weekend. Awesome. So, uh, F1 more exciting than usual. Yeah. Um, IMSA was at Laguna Seca. Oh, yeah. Mazda Raceway. Mazda Raceway. Will, Laguna someone Sega. will appear out of the background and punch us from Mazda PR if we do not say Mazda Raceway. Absolutely. The beautiful and historic Mazda Raceway. Laguna go. Seca. Uh, and, and Mazda was dominating in practice and qualifying. A Mazda their, won the MX-5 Cup. I know that. Oh, yes. Well, yeah. <laughs> Mazda did great in the MX-5 Cup. Um, and uh, their prototypes were dominating through the weekend until the race, um, when unfortunately they kind of threw it away. Right. We had uh, we had an electronics issue, sideline one car. The one of the drivers of the second car had a spin, damaged the tires, and, and fell back through the order. And so it was a uh, a Honda powered P two who took another win. Wow! Um, the first for Michael Shank Racing since 2012 when they won the Rolex 24, and uh, a huge huge uh, win for that program. Yeah, and. So it, it's it's really really a bit of an egg on Mazda's face because yeah. this program through their diesel days has just been so 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 far behind. They I finally know. finally had a weekend where they thought it was all coming together. Right. They had the track that perfectly suited their cars, and they had the driver lineup to do it. Yeah. I mean, frankly, uh, I mean the Michael Shank car is a pro am driven car. John Pugh does a great job, but the pace between the two drivers just isn't on the level of um, the Mazda guys. Although Oz Negri. Uh, the pro in that Shankar is absolutely, you know, as, as good as he yeah, needs to be. Right. But this was definitely a case of Mazda not delivering and throwing it away a bit. But somebody who didn't throw it away was uh, the Chip Ganassi guys with yes. the four GTs. Right, right. Scoring their first win. Uh, but I'd say, I mean, I know every race, oh, we're testing, we're testing, we're testing. It's We still want to see them win something before they head to France. Yes. <laughs> and they've been, I, I mean, they really came out a bit further behind on the development curve than yeah. everybody expected. Right. They've been turning lots of laps in the previous year, but testing miles are not racing miles. Yeah, that's true. And uh, Daytona and Sebring definitely didn't go that well, and they did not seem to have the pace that people wanted to see for them at, uh, at Silverstone. Yep. But Richard, uh, Richard Westbrook had a killer run, uh, stretching his fuel for nearly an hour, 20 minutes of a hour and, or two hour race and got the first win for those guys in front of the Scuderia Corsa, Ferrari 488. Um, so it's the, uh, I know Ford wants to see the, the Ford GT finishing in front of these Ferraris Always. as they did, yeah. you know, starting, uh, starting 50 years ago at Le Mans. So yep. hopefully for them, this it is going to be, a, yeah, this will be a, the start of a twi- start of a trend. I mean, they need to win. 
they need to win in France. That's all it is at all costs. <laughs> well, you know, every, every the thing is, though, everybody needs to win. They're bringing four cars, but right. the Corvette guys who are going over there aren't going to finish second. No, absolutely not. The Porsches, not. Astons, none, nobody there wants to, uh, wants to finish second. But right. Ford, they're, they're definitely investing in it. They've got one of the best teams in the world running the show. And their car certainly looks like it should be dominating out there. Yeah, yeah. It's a bitchin'-looking car. Uh, speaking of, you know, all the stuff going on at MR- MRLS, I joked about the MX-5 Cup cars, but that's they've been they've been doing pretty good so far in terms of sales with that ND MX-5 Cup car. I think they said there was going to be 50 of them on track for the event, and they've already, t- in total, taken orders for 80 of them. Uh, I mean, that's it's a hell of a deal, though. That car, the one, because you, you drove it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's 53 Exactly, fifty three thousand, fully raced, ready to go. Yeah, and 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 it's not so much a proposition of like speed for the dollar with this car, right. but it allows you to get into a super competitive class, no matter where they are, no matter where you are, because it's not just you know a local club class that's really competitive. It's going to be competitive in club racing. It's going to be competitive on a national level, and they are taking this MX five Cup platform on a globe to a global scale. Right, and they're going to be running these things all over the world, and so you know it's you know some people want to go out and drive fast. Some people want to uh, you know really compete at the highest level they can and have the tightest competition out there, and that's what this is going to yeah, deliver. Yeah, I was talking to a gentleman who races 25 hours at Thunderhill, and he races for Mazda at 25 hour, and he said, um, you know, you, obviously you have to be aware of the prototypes, but in a lot of the corners at Thunderhill, the, the Miatas, you know, they're not as fast as the Porsches and the Straits, but they gained so much time on them through the corners and braking and all that stuff. And, and it's, pr- it's pretty cool to think how well those cars actually do. And the new ones awesome at least yeah. it's really good looking <laughs> absolutely absolutely it's uh it, if only it's italian cousin was as good looking yeah, as, right? the, as the mazda is yep but uh so back to mazda raceway laguna seca the uh, the gtd race they raced with pc pc was was fine some guys were racing um no drama what, there what is what is what does gtd signify because when i hear that i think of a german hatchback that has great <laughs> springs and a diesel motor so um so GTD and GTLM are separate classes in the IMSA series, right? The GTLM cars are the Le Mans spec cars. They're called GTE at Le Mans and in the WEC and in the European Le Mans series. Um, GTD is now a full GT3 regulation class. Okay. So they're what races in the Blancpain series, and they race in basically every sports car series in the world except for the uh, World Endurance Championship and the European Le Mans series, because specifically GT3 cars don't race in the big race at Le Mans. Interesting. Um, that's a whole political yeah. issue, um, because GTE cars and GT3 cars effectively go the same speed. Oh. But one costs a hell of a lot more. Interesting. Um, but anyway, so GTD, they're the privateer pro-am class for GTs in IMSA, whereas all of the... Uh, GTLM cars are, if they're not factory run, they're factory backed to some right, degree. Right. I was just out at um, Willow Springs for an event to ride along in the Clarion Acura NSX with Chris Forsberg. Mm-hmm. And we were on Horse Thief over on uh, Streets. Turner had it to themselves, and they were just running their M6 GTLM car. G- GTD. It's GTD. Yes. Okay. So, but that's an example of someone who has factory support. They, yeah, well, BMW helps them some. And, right. um, 
one of the drivers, in, the pro in that car for the season is a G, is a pardon me, uh, BMW factory driver. Okay, but they are definitely being funded primarily by Turner. the uh, by the amateurs driving the car. Okay, in that okay. case, not as not so they're not as they weren't well not that they're with BMW anymore, but Mark VDS was heavily backed by BMW for a while. Yes, and I, I and the way BMW does it, I I don't know that they were you know being fully funded by the factory if it was right. more you know heavily factory heavy, heavily factory invo- involvement helping the team get out there okay um car sounded awesome going around the track just by itself because i mean the bmws always have the, the best gear wine <laughs> <laughs> the car sounded awesome interesting i, I haven't seen the the m6 run anywhere but at um Daytona and at Daytona, you're so far away from the cars yeah. as they're going through the the trioval. If you're in the pits, that they aren't necessarily that loud. And I've mm. heard heard different things about if if the cars are too loud, if they're too quiet, because um, they are, they are turbocharged cars, right? So, so like when uh, when I was at Nurburgring, when it's coming down the straight, you hear you I mean you hear mostly transmission, yeah. Which is I mean it sounds pretty cool because it's you know different. And then the Bentleys come by, and they sound so cool, yeah. But it was cool to see that car. And they weren't going fast. They were just cruising. And even though they were going slow, they actually went off at one corner. So, but it's streets. Nothing to hit. Yes. Yes, indeed. And that's, that's what it's good for. Um, so in the GT, so PC and GTD ran their own race. Um, two hours, just like the P and GTLM race. And the PC race was relatively uneventful. The only yellow in this whole race was for um, when the Black Swan car had a brake uh, failure. They mm-hmm. they put in the gravel in turn five. Um, other than that, there were no real incidences in in the race. Uh, and the heart of racing, Alex Job Racing Porsche GT3 GT or GT3R, pardon me, uh, just dominated. Mm-hmm. Put it on pole by more than a second and wow. and ran it flag to flag. And they've got a very very stout driver lineup. Yeah, and uh, we'll see. It's always possible that the BOP could swing. Uh, out of favor for the Porsche, but yeah. they put on a hell of a show out there and were uh, challenged a little bit by uh, Alessandro Balzan in the other Scuderia Corsa Ferrari 488, their new GT3 car, but he, he was never really close enough to make a move that I saw. Right. And so great weekend for Scuderia Corsa, finishing second in the GTLM and GTD races with their various 488s, but nothing could take away from the uh, the big win by the Porsche guys. And And... Going flag, you know, flag to flag is probably pretty awesome because you start with so much open track. But at some point in the race, are you running into the the, the back markers? And- yeah, absolutely. And once they were f- deep into the second stint there, um, it got pretty challenging for the, some of the guys because you'd have guys like Mike Skeen, who is as good as anybody in cars like this. And he was driving to Viper this weekend. And because of this reason or that his car had been sort of buried deep into the lower half, I think of the, um, of the teens, maybe 16th, 17th. And his best lap was three tenths off the best overall lap. So the leaders are coming through traffic that is really every bit as fast as them essentially. And if they don't get a little help, it can be really problematic. And that actually cost the BMW. You were, you saw at Willow a podium. They seem to have third place locked up. Um, and they weren't really being, they were challenging for second, but they seemed to be cruising and they caught traffic and couldn't get by them and lost a mm. ton of time. And very late in the race, the TRG Aston Martin V12 Vantage snuck by and, uh, wound up, wound up, wound up, uh, taking the podium spot over the BMW. Now, is there any obligation of the, the slower 
you know, or the, the the back markers in that point to like let you buy or no? Well, oh, well, that's a very good question. So um, when you're being caught, you get dis- the corner workers will show you a blue flag. Blue flag, yeah. And in the U.S., that is not a in the U.S. in IndyCar and in sports car racing, it's not a command flag. It's an oh, informational flag, not like in, a K one where they like move exactly, exactly. <laughs> they don't they they can't turn down your power right, in right. real time like a K one. <laughs> but in Formula One, the blue flag is very much a command. And so going back uh, to Two weeks ago in the IndyCar race at Barber, the leaders were catching traffic, and the IndyCar field is as tight as it could be. And up to this point, Simone Pagino had had no challenges, basically, throughout the race. He was just putting on a clinic, uh, really looking like uh, the professor out there, Mm -hmm. showing everybody how it's done. And he caught, I believe it was uh, Connor Daly. Okay. And Connor was running around at the back, but had the speed that Simone couldn't get past him. Perhaps he could have he tried a little harder, but he was being very clinical, very analytical, and didn't want to risk the car. And because of that, Graham Rahal caught him. Mm-hmm. Graham, Graham decided to make a uh, a very bold maneuver. They got together a little bit, and they both continued. But Graham uh, Graham took the lead for a while until his wing uh, wound up collapsing <laughs> um, <laughs> in a little encounter with some more traffic. But uh, it's an example where in Formula One, Connor would have just moved over, and yeah. there would have been a boring race. Um, but because uh, IndyCar doesn't have a command blue flag, it's just informational, that traffic allowed P2 to catch P1 and turned it into really a cracking race right. overall. Right. Uh, so, so from a fan standpoint, it, you know, there's an interesting – because you can create a little bit more drama. But maybe like if you're Simon, you're like, Connor, I would have liked you to move over. But Connor's like, I'm holding my line. I don't have to move over. Get around me. Yeah, exactly. And, and one of the key differences is – or one of the reasons why the rule is the way it is, is that in Formula 1, um, if somebody crashes or goes off, unless it's a street track, there's probably not going to be a safety car. They're probably going to clean that under local yellow, pick it up with a crane, and everybody continues on. But you have safety cars all the time in U.S. racing, especially on ovals, where if anybody has any moment, they're probably in the wall, right? So what that means is that you need to be able to defend uh, your spot on track. If you're going to be going a lap down, if you can hold right in front of the leader and the yellow comes out, suddenly – you're still on the lead lap, you're at the back of the pack, and you can race guys again. Right. If you have to give way and let the leader buy, then if that safety car comes out right after you let him buy, then suddenly you're a lap down and your race might be ruined. Hmm. Interesting. So because partially because we have more, you know, more tracks where you have to have yellows and, and tracks uh, where people are making big mistakes all the time, right. you need to have that to sort of enable people to not have their races destroyed. Every time uh, the leader comes by. Right. So speaking of IndyCar, we had uh, we pretty much covered the race in Barber. Uh, Pajam wound up coming back to win. Right. Uh, his second win in a row for Pinsky. He's yeah, been he's on, on the podium year. every time he hasn't won. Right. And uh, it's it's a really good field. But um, if he keeps this up, people aren't going to see which way he went because he is so good. And yeah. now that he's sort of on song, I, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he rail. Just titles off more podiums, more wins. All the way to the end. I could definitely see it. Definitely see it. Uh, but they had a week off this week. And the big news, because uh, IndyCar can't have a, a quiet week, is that their race for this September in Boston has been canceled. Sons of bitches. I was so looking forward to this race. I was work. I was talking to different 
PR teams to figure out ways to get me out there without me paying because I'm a precious little journalist. But my family's from back east. I'm from Boston. And I was actually so interested to see how the city was going to pull this off. And the answer is they're not, which sucks because the seaport could have been a cool little road circuit. But the weekend they were choosing to do it was the dumbest weekend possible because that's the weekend a lot of kids move back into into college in Boston. And Boston is a massive college town. It's Boston, some people think it's a big city. It's actually not a big city. Uh, the population's like, you know, 600 to 750,000. That weekend when they're moving kids into college, it's like the population triples. So then throw an IndyCar race into that. I, I'm obviously, they're in different parts of the city, but, you know, there's only so many ways in and out of Boston. But I was still fascinated that this was going to happen, racing in my hometown. And the other thing about Boston and New England is general, it's not a huge motorsports area of the country. There are pockets. You know, you have Loudoun, you have Lime Rock to the south, which is more tri-state. Well, yeah, um, New England. You have So you have some, some certain interest in motorsports, but it's not like the south or California or, you know, other areas of the country that really rail behind their motorsports. Um, NASCAR will go to Loudoun. You get some decent stuff happening out there. There's some Lemons events out there. There's other stuff. So IndyCar in the city of Boston was going to be crazy. So what really happened here was, at least from my standpoint, and I'm judging before I hear all the facts, but I don't care because I know it's Boston, is that the city was just trying to juice as much money as possible about IndyCar like they would about anything. So they threw a surprise, oh, 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 the track runs through here? Oh, you need another permit for that. Like the most bullshitty Boston mafioso backhanded crap they could to squeeze more money out of where it's just – it seems like IndyCar's like – or not IndyCar, but the organizers who are helping or Indy organizers are like, you know what? We can't work with you. And so that's how it fell apart, and it sucks. Um, yeah, and, and we should be clear. Uh, this was canceled because of a rift between the promoter and the city car. Yep. And, and, the, and the city. IndyCar Indy. itself – was involved. They right. found out um, late the night before the, the story broke. Yep. Um, they weren't the ones negotiating. Um, but so since you've got the you've got the local knowledge, do you think there was a time, uh, you, you know, a weekend, some other time in the year where this would have come off, or do you think that really this just this was never really going to fly? Because this is the city that right. th- that voted down, you know, trying to get the the Summer Olympics. Right, right. And which is, that, I thought yeah. was smart of them, yeah, to be totally no- honest. Normally, you know, cities are falling all over themselves right. trying to get an event like that, and Boston turned it down. They knew it would have been a shit show for the city. So, they, I mean, they didn't want to deal with it. Um, you know, we, we, we've, we're only just really enjoying the – and I say we. I haven't lived there in 13 years. But we're, we're really just enjoying the fruits – of a 10-plus-year construction project called The Big Dig, which is over budget and ran longer, but has made the city a better place to live and drive through and visit. So there, people are finally enjoying Boston without you know decades of construction. Uh, it's, not, it's, it's an easier city to live with now. So now to throw all this other shit at it, it would just probably bring people back to that, that state where they're like, oh, we got to deal with this crap again. Uh, the race would be a little bit different because – the seaport is only become only kind of just becoming it's been the last few years but like they finally have some residents there there's some nicer restaurants some nicer hotels but for years it was kind of neglected there was a the convention center was out there but that was it but now you know this race was going to i think the race could have been pre- really cool for the city just maybe just a hair later into the fall i mean obviously you don't want to do it in the summer cuz boston is melting hot not that that stops race races from happening but it, it might persuade people to be like, ah, no, I'd rather go sweat at a Red Sox game or something like that. Um, 
So it, it's a tough call. It's it's an interesting pick to have a a race in as a city, Boston. Period. Yeah, definitely. When when it was announced, it definitely raised a lot of eyebrows. Right. As you say, there's no particular tradition of racing. No. Up in the area, there there is you know some history at Loudon, but right. we're not talking about a mecca of the sport by all. any means. Not at all. So I, I'm bummed to see it fall apart because I was really curious to see how the city would respond and how the race would be run and what the course looked like and all this stuff. So now that it's not happening, um, it actually makes my fall travel planning a little easier because I don't have to worry about that. But um, you know, whatever. It's a it, it's it's in, it seems to me unless we hear differently down the road. That Boston was just trying to juice this for more money. They're like, oh, racing. They make, they're all billionaires like F1. So it sucks. Yeah. Unfortunately for the promoter and unfortunately for the fans in the area, uh, street races are generally about cities losing money and not making money. Right. So until they become uh, a force like the Long Beach Grand Prix and St. Pete to success, uh, you know, cities don't make anything right. on and these things early Long on. Beach, Long Beach has been doing it for decades. Yes. Half a yes, century more than, plus. More than 40 years now. Right. Oh, yeah. So, uh, close to half a century. IndyCar and the promoter are working to find a replacement. They're right. looking all over, all over the country. Uh, there's IndyCar was at Loudon a few years ago. Uh, really? it did not go well. No. <laughs> and, uh, there was some rain and they tried to race in the rain and, and Will Power wound up, uh, having to get out of his crashed car and, and giving the double birds to the control I was going to say, power. was that that race? Yeah. Yes. That yes. Fantastic. And, um, they're looking out west. They're looking all over the place. They are going to be at uh, Sonoma for the season finale in the middle of September. So that has to be the season finale, as I understand it. I believe that's part of the Sonoma contract, mm-hmm. so it would have to come in before then. So they're looking uh, high and low. But Good excuse to go to Sonoma. No, absolutely. Not that you need an excuse. Cause absolutely. The only problem with the Sonoma weekend is that it's the same weekend as uh, WBC and IMSA in Cota. Oh. So. There's uh there are a couple of other cool events that somebody could go to. Yeah, but I'd rather be drinking well, there's not racing going on. I'd rather be sipping wine in Sonoma than having a shiner in Texas. Sorry, Austin, but there you go. I'd rather go to Sonoma. There you go. And uh so hopefully we're gonna get another event um beforehand. I'd love to see them go up to Portland. I love Portland International Portland cool. Raceway. Um it's been a real challenge to get pro events back there. Um I don't think there's really any chance of it happening this year, but in my uh, fantasy land, that's where they'd go. Right. They'd definitely make it the travel easier for the teams, uh, having a little West Coast swing right there. Yeah. Yeah, that would be fun. I, I haven't driven that track. Uh, I know people seem to enjoy it, though. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And Portland, one of the best cities uh, in my mind in the country, one of my top cities. And it's the only uh, proper road course that's inside a major American city, inside the city limits. I wonder, though, if the residents of Portland are kind of too cool for racing. <laughs> oh, well, no, they definitely are. But that being said, um, there are a lot of residents of Portland. And it's two and a half hours from Seattle. I yeah. think you have you know, easily between 7 and 10 million people within a three-hour drive. And you might get some of the Sonoma fans to, like, take a road trip or hop a quick flight or something. You never know. But it's possible. Um, it's Portland, possible. I mean, I, I make fun of Portland, but Portland is a pretty rad city. So Absolutely. So uh, that's pretty much uh, what's been going on. Coming up this week, we've got um, WEC at Spa, and the Blancpain Sprint Series is going to Brands Hatch, two uh, classic European tracks everybody loves spa everybody loves their spa memes on the facebooks yeah i have you ever driven there no no it's uh it's what number one a on my like to drive list Wait, what's number one nurburgring uh i don't actually i don't consider or that it, well no lamar i've driven so oh. <laughs> nurburgring i don't count as a track because it is so 
completely different than everything else. It's right. in its own category. So right. Nurburgring is my number one like fantasy land sure. playground to drive. So for me, it's Suzuka and and Spa. Really? They're kind of inseparable for me. I think they're the two greatest like drivers tracks we've got in Interesting. the world. Interesting. Um, I would not have guessed that one. Yeah, it's uh, it, they're very different character. Um, do but, they run F one at Suzuki? Yes, they still do, um, or they used to. They it, they might now be alternating between Suzuka and Fuji again. I think they're only running Suzuka in Japan now. Because didn't didn't Senna win his first championship at a Japanese track? Suzuka. Yes, okay, that's what I thought. Yes, all, all of the yeah. There were a couple of years of uh, he lost the championship there, then he won it the next year there. Um, Suzuka has a lot of a uh, lot of history right there. Right, right. Hmm, interesting. So. So how is Le Mans? Le Mans is amazing. I don't know if we've ever even talked about that. <laughs> like, uh, like obviously, when was the chicane put in? Like decades ago, right? The chicane was put in in 1990, I okay. believe. Okay. Um, it was a bit of a political thing with FIA, who was organizing the World Championship for sports cars at the time. I believe the year before, they left Le Mans off the championship um, schedule, and it was its own race, which... It, it, it kind of comes and goes in different sure. championships um, over the years. Now the current WEC, they are integral to the organization of uh, of uh, the championship, so Le Mans isn't going anywhere. Um, but the, yeah, they they if the FIA instituted a, a rule saying no track could have a straightaway longer than you know X length. I don't yeah. remember what the length is, and that's what necessitated putting the two chicanes in. Hmm. Interesting. Well, but, I mean, what did you drive there? I drove a uh, Eureka a prototype challenge car there in 2012. And uh, in the place is insane. If you look at the track map, you don't get a sense of like how dramatic some of the cur- some of the turns are sure. just because the track is so big that right. like the Nürburgring sort of the details yeah, of just every, like every turn. Little, yeah. yeah. It's, they're just little squiggles. Right. But um, then you watch a video like uh, there was a good video of the Nürburgring recently where uh, it was the ring taxi chasing a guy in a Lamborghini and then a guy in front of him and maybe a Cayman. Yeah. Um, and just, and the guy in the Lamborghini was like doing his best, but the Porsche and the M five ring taxi were just like right there. It was a pretty cool video. Yeah. And, and, and Le Mans, it, it's, it's just a special place. Like when you walk in um, and when you walk like onto pit road, the, for me anyway, there's just a feeling in the place. There's you can feel the history, sure. the scale of everything. It's magical. Um, right. Indianapolis is is the same way for some people. Daytona and Talladega do it for them. Um, Le Mans is just one of those places that it's 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 unique. It's literally unique. Um, and the track itself is just amazing. You're at V Max multiple times, like four or five times a lap. You've got uh, you know sixth, fifth gear. Uh, sections of corners and it's just absolutely fantastic. what was vmax in that car uh we that car wasn't designed to go that fast so the gearing yeah would, the thing's would only all arrow do, right yeah and, and it's really inefficient arrow um so that car i think we were doing like uh, 180 or something not quite 180 just almost we were like just under i think 290k which is basically 180 like on the straight you probably would have gone faster if you had like the new ctsv or something <laughs> possibly possibly uh, like we we'd, we'd come on to the molson straight out of a tetra rouge and we'd be carrying tons of speed pulling up on gt cars and sort of draft past them and pull out and then they'd just creep on past past us oh, in the really? other lane because they you know they were built to do it and we were just there testing and were the were the prototypes just like blurs like <laughs> yeah they were they were absolutely hauling they were absolutely hauling i think they had 
at least 30k on us um so uh, 20 miles an hour top speed and um, that was actually the year that delta wing ran there oh. and that was really impressive it didn't have the top speed right but it it got like through the medium speed acceleration um so fast yeah, the car weight was awesome that car's only getting better and better too it seems like uh did you get to run at night at all at Lamont? unfortunately no wow. that's probably just like a mythical experience we're like oh, zen and just focus 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 i can't i couldn't imagine that um that's pretty awesome so um that's basically the race recap, but since it's still the Hooniverse podcast, uh, I can talk about what I've been driving this week. I'm, I've been spending a week in the uh, the 2016 Range Rover TD6. TD6 is the diesel, and I fucking love it. It is, it is, it's expensive. It's $105,000. Base price is like 92. I think if you get zero options, it's like 88. Oh. A bargain, right? Uh, but if you buy that, you're a peasant. Um, it's it's such it just the way it rolls down the road. It feels better when I drive it. I feel like I've made good, even though it's not mine, and I only have it for a week. But I feel like I've made some good choices in life. And if you owned it, you probably feel that way all the time. It just it's supremely comfortable. It the engine is it's quiet when you're in the cabin, but the sound system, the Meridian sound system, is gloriously loud if you want it to be. Uh, it's just it drives so wonderfully and it feels like you're moving this great big mass effortlessly comfortably and then the new body style it just looks damn good too oh it looks fantastic love 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 this car so, so i can see why people so here it. here's the question i've got if you're not buying the supercharged one is there any reason not to get the diesel uh i would get i would get this over the gas v6 no question so you either get the big dog supercharged v8 with you know your 500 plus horsepower or you get the diesel. I would ditch the supercharged six because um, you'll be a little down a little bit on power, horsepower, up on torque, significantly up on torque, like well over 100 pound feet of torque, and then improved fuel economy. That's rated to get 29 on the highway, and in mixed driving, I'm seeing like between 23 and 25, which that's that's and fantastic that's for not, something that that size. Right, and I'm not keeping my foot out of it. Yeah, that's the thing too. I Zach Clapman from the Smoking Tire and I drove out to. Um, Lancaster to Willow to finish our, our drift school because we got half rained out of it. We took that out. It's the perfect vehicle for excursion. Like if, we, if you and I had to run to Vegas right now, like we, there's a few of your cars out there we could take. <laughs> We'd say, no, let's take the Range Rover. It'd be more comfortable. We'll go f- more than fast enough. We won't have to stop for gas either way if we took it mostly easy. The range on the tank is like if you really like light-footed and you're all highway driving, the range is like 650 miles on a tank or something crazy. Way more range than anybody's going to want to do in a stint. Yeah. And, I mean, it, I, you really have to baby it to see that range, but and it's hard because it just feels it's, – it's like what I imagine driving a Viking fishing boat is like, you know, like a 50-foot Viking. Um, and I'm not talking about the Vikings. I'm talking about the brand Viking where you pull out of the harbor, the guy's and like their lures and their crisscross like oh shit watch out here comes a viking and you just Pop! and that's what i imagine I, I'm, that's what I'm, I'm nodding politely i have no idea what you're talking viking about is I, I know you're not talking about real vikings very, viking is a very expensive <laughs> like a hatteras or a viking big expensive glorious fish sports fishing boat um that's what this was like if you like boats if planes are your thing i don't know I, I'm out of luck there. Um, but, yeah, so that's what I'm driving this week. Uh, what do I have? I've, I've actually, coming up, I have the Lexus IS200T, which is a four-cylinder turbocharged rear, rear-wheel drive Lexus that I'm going to try to get 
to do dumb things because it seems like it's a recipe for that. It sounds like you've uh, now cl- completed the schooling you need to make sure you can do dumb yes, things. Yes, exactly. Uh, <laughs> that's a very good point. Uh, but I'm dying to go back to that school because it's crazy awesome, crazy fun. And Naoki runs an awesome ship out there. Uh, so if you're looking to go to drift school and you live in the area, you should sign up. It's not cheap, but relatively speaking, for other driving schools, it is affordable. It's like 900 bucks for the full day. And you never know. You might go see, uh, go out there and see an IMSA team testing. Uh, yes. And you, there's a good chance you'll be the only one there. So then it's one-on-one. You're not going to get one-on-one instruction for under thousands elsewhere. Um, so, yeah. And then stay tuned. Uh, we'll Duncan and I will figure out when the next race recap will happen, and we'll keep this train a-rolling. Thanks for running the show this, this week because I didn't watch much racing. Hopefully I didn't crash too many times. No, no. You, uh... Perfect. So. All right. See you next week.